Hey guys, thanks so much for checking out another episode of A Rock and Roll Rabbit Hole, and I hope everyone's doing okay. A Rock and Roll Rabbit Hole is a little podcast where I'll be digging through my vinyl collection of about 500 records and also my tiny brain of about 500 remaining brain cells and taking a light-hearted, laid-back, positive fanboys look at my favourite songs and bits of songs and artists that fall within a different, pointless and set theme every episode. It really is just an attempt to archive some stories, interviews and great music for like-minded rock music fans. I will choose from any song part or artist that has given me joy as a listener or a slight Norwegian wood as a musician. It's not a countdown, because they are stupid, but I will leave my favourite choice for last. This is just a bit of chilled, unnecessary fun that hopefully inspires someone to support a musician by buying some tickets, music or merch, or listen to an old favourite album and check out some of this amazing shit that has formed the soundtrack of my life. a lot of people do like to share their opinions these days, please let me know if you think that I've missed anything in my record collection that I know and that I like by sending me an email at I will never check this email address at gofuckyourself forward slash cockgoblin that's cock spelt with a K and I'll get back to you as soon as I give a shit Seriously, if you do want to say hi, you can hit me up and follow the podcast on Instagram and Facebook, A Rock and Roll Rabbit Hole Podcast, or via the website, arockandrollrabbithole.com. I'd love to hear from you. The website also has Spotify playlists of all the songs used in each episode, past episodes, including the occasional bonus episode that I do, and some other golden magic. I also have small playlists of the great lesser-known artists that I highlight at the end of each episode on the Victims tab of the website. Please, please rate, review, subscribe and share the podcast if you're digging it. That is super helpful and appreciated. Thanks again, and here goes. Thanks again for checking out the podcast, guys, and thanks again to anyone who checked out the Dire Straits episode last week. Way back in episode four's drugs, I hinted at doing a booze episode, and I finally got around to doing it. So here it is, episode 38, Booze Songs. And this is not a paid ad or anything. I just want to give a shout out in admiration for a small business doing some great work in the booze and rock and roll space, and that's Grog Lords. You can check them out on Instagram, Groglords, or on their website, groglords.com, G-R-O-G-L-O-R-D-S, Groglords. G-O-G-G-O, problem with my Gogomobile. As they do rock and roll related booze releases, they have a few motorhead whiskeys, rums, bourbon and a vodka, even a motorhead Shiraz, some Slipknot drinks, Metallica whiskey, a Kiss and a Body Jar gin, a Slayer wine, an ACDC tequila. Jeff Martin from the Tea Party has an absinthe and a whiskey. Anyway, you get the picture. Check them out and tell them that I sent you, and they'll give you fuck all extra, but I'm sure they'll appreciate the business. They also have some great rock and roll masks like Iron Maiden, The Misfits, Alice Cooper, Motorhead, etc. These guys are doing their part in keeping a small part of rock and roll happening, so if you're looking for a cool gift or a bar filler, check them out, groglords.com. Alrighty, let's get into it. I'm going to include songs that I adore that mention an actual type of alcohol, the word drunk or the word sober, and some other loosely related booze nuggets. 
So I'm going to start just by quickly mentioning a few tunes that have popped their heads up in previous episodes. I do remember having a slight reservation about Killer Queen, and I remember thinking, are we kind of selling ourselves as something which has become very, very light? But every slice through that record is a perfect vision. There's lots of little things which visit once only, like the little bell of the symbol. Killer Queen always felt a bit special. It was very sophisticated and it was very freddy. As the albums have progressed, I mean, our sort of songwriting has progressed and we sort of ventured into sort of different areas. I like writing different songs, you know. We don't like to sort of repeat the same formula. It had um, a sort of slightly Noel Coward, you know, that, that kind of element in it. When you took the lyrics apart, you thought, how incredible is that? Because they were so clever. So here's Freddie to open the batting with his first line alcohol mentioning Killer Queen. She keeps them always in a pretty cabinet. Cake, she says, just like Marie Antoinette. Building a remedy for Chris Job and Kennedy. At a time of invitation, you can't take Oh, let's get this shit out of the road early. There's a man there you know. He's the host of the show. And you'll find that he fucking hates choirs. To avoid complication, she never kept the same address. Happy conversation, she spoke just like a baroness. Men and men chatted up and down the Let's move on. I'm not ready to move on just yet, Slash. A few things about Killer Queen. The first verse mentions the line, let them eat cake, she said, just like Marie Antoinette. Marie Antoinette never said, let them eat cake. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. Of course she didn't. She spoke French. But in fact, she didn't say kills mangeant de la brioche either. In fact, this saying in France actually predated her arrival there by anywhere from about 30 years to as much as a century. This myth is often stated that on her way to the guillotine, forced by a mob of starving French peasants, she exasperatedly said, let them eat cake. Another version says that when she heard the people were starving from lack of bread, she suggested let them eat cake. There are numerous problems with both of these versions of the tale, but we'll just stick with the let them eat cake part. The actual saying, let them eat cake, was first written by the political philosopher Jean-Jacques Rousseau in his autobiography, Confessions. At the time, Marie Antoinette was only 10 years old and living in Austria. She didn't come to France until four years later when she married Louis XVI. More than that, Rousseau mentioned this same phrase in a letter written 18 years before Marie Antoinette was even born. 
In his autobiography, Rousseau references a great princess who, when told the peasants had no bread, said, well, let them eat brioche, brioche being a highly enriched bread. Bread's not cake. It is thought that either Rousseau coined this phrase himself or he was referring to Maria Therese, who had lived about a hundred years before and was the wife of Louis XIV. Alright, let's move on. Yep, still not ready, mate. Killer Queen was Queen's fourth single and first hit, making it to number 24 in Australia, number two in Ireland, number two in the UK, number 12 in the US. And I'm going to start to include Norway a bit from now on, as we have a few regular listeners there. Velkommen. Hej på dig. And it made it to number four in Norway. Fyra. And just redeeming the choir I had to play before, here's the amazing pre-auto-tune direct-to-tape backing vocals of Killer Queen. She's a killer queen, naturally. She's a killer queen, gunpowder, gelatine, dynamite with a laser beam. Pop, 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 anytime. Ooh, ooh, da, da. Drive you wild, wild. She's a killer queen, gunpowder. Gelatine, dynamite with a laser beam. Pop, 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 Alright, let's move on. Alright, let's move on. Just quickly back to Norway. Norwegian Wood is also an alcohol mentioning song with the mention of wine. I 
until today. I don't have anything against the companies that sponsor the bands and shit here, except, you know, I got a tattoo on this shoulder. And it's, it's a tattoo of a Thin Lizzy album cover, you know? Since both my father and my stepfather were assholes, Phil Lynott kind of like took the place of dad for me when I was a kid. And I'm watching TV today, and I see this, this Molson commercial with the boys are back in town on it. And I was like, what the fuck is this? And I've never been more pissed off and hurt in my life. You know, at least not in a long fucking time that I can think of. Because, I mean, whoever sold that to them, I hope they're a big motherfucker. Because if I find their name, I'm going to crack their skull. Sponsorship. Let me hear you. If you're into yelling yes, say, you know, yell yes, really loud. If you think it's like selling out, let me hear you yell on that one. We'll stick that one right in the ballot box.
So about four months ago, I did a deep dig on one of my favourite lyricists and singers, Justin Curry and his band Dalamitri, and being Scottish, they're massive pissheads. Here's a few of their alcohol-mentioning tunes. Did I mention I like Delamitri? And this has nothing to do with booze, but check out this bridge. So in episode 18's 4x4, we heard Stevie Ray Vaughan's great Get Off Booze song, Life by the Drop. Was good. 
So in episode six's F-bombs, we had this song by Tool. In the States, when it came out as the fourth single off Definitely Maybe, and we kind of got a little lent on to put a fourth single out, and I wasn't into the idea at all, so I was like, fourth single, fucking hell, I don't know about that. And anyway, out it comes, and we're in Detroit. I remember it to this day, because I ended up in hospital that night. And we're in Detroit and got the phone call that not only had it got in the charts, that it was the biggest selling single we'd ever had, the fourth single off Definitely Maybe. I remember putting the phone down going, now we're fucking talking here. This is going to get fucking stupid. Where's the monkey? Yeah. <laughs> Bring me the fucking chimp. Yeah. And uh, there was, it was kind of like, right, well, there's no going back from this now. This is going to be sensational. I remember writing it in my flat in Manchester and two guys used to live above me. And on those days, the fucking geezer that I was, I used to write on the electric guitar with my amp in the fucking room in a block of flats on 10. And uh, one of the guys might have worked at the Hacienda as a local crew guy or something. And I remember him once passing me in the stairs going, you're not gonna fucking write a song with that riff, are you? That's fucking rubbish. And I was going, listen, fast ass. It's gonna be fucking amazing when it comes out. <laughs> and, I, and I remember going down the rehearsal room and being this song. And Bonez used to always be the fucking top totter, didn't he? Sick guy, no, yeah. I remember coming out, I've got this tune called whatever. <laughs> so I go down and I've got this tune called Cigarettes and Alcohol and he does his Cigarettes and Alcohol. It's a bit, yeah, you're going to change the title. And then I done the riff and he's just going, whoa, whoa, you can't fuck it, that's T-Rex. And I was like, I don't give a shit who it is, no one's ever going to hear it anyway, give a fuck. Acoustic or electric? Electric. Dogs or cats? Cats. Tea or coffee? Tea. Sex or drugs? Drugs always leads to sex. God or science? Science. Indian or Chinese? Chinese. Rent boys, that is. <laughs> well, in that case, <laughs> Indian, of course. <laughs> and we had this cheese bag in episode 20. Get caught in the rain. If you 
So let's start the fresh booze songs with a wine cellar visit with an Aussie classic from 1980. And this song also mentions drinking rocket fuel, which actually is a proper cocktail, I believe. But growing up, it was always just a mix of alcohol, often made from tipping one inch out of every one of your dad's bottles, so nobody noticed. But the song's title is Cheap Wine by Cold Chisel, a song that easily could have been in the drug episode two because he mentions a girl who dies upon a needle. Once I smoked a and cigar I drove a foreign car oh, Baby, that was years ago I left it all behind I had a friend, I heard she died she was crucified Baby, that was years ago I left it all behind For my cheap wine And a three-day girl Cheap wine And a three-day girl Another wine song is a cover tune by the late, great Jeff Buckley. The song was first recorded in 1953 by Eartha Kitt. When I think more than I want to think Do things I never should do I drink much more than I want to drink Because it brings me back Another booze mentioning Oasis song is Champagne Supernova. That's one song that we've, ever since it was released, I think we've played it every night, where possible. 
Um, so it's, it's a tune, man. It is a tune. Just before we went into Record Morning Glory, it was a real great period for us. We were sat on the tour bus in Germany. We got to this hotel early, so none of the rooms were ready. So oh, we sat, oh, he remembers all this so stuff. We sat, so we sat in the car park, right? Are you fucking 100% sure? I am 100% sure. I put one of my houses on it. So somebody says, we're going in to do Morning Glory next week. Have you got any tunes for the new album? And I said, well, we went up to the back line, so I'll play them for you for one. And uh, I played Delore and fucking Cast My Shadow and all this, and <laughs> played Champagne Supernova in its entirety on acoustic guitar, and looked up and at the end, Bonin was crying. You've not just written that, have you? Fuck, sorry. Sorry. I love you. Well, uh, Bonin was crying, <laughs> and I was looking around thinking, you fucking soft lad, like either that or it's shit. How many special people change? How many lives are living strange? Where were you while we were getting high? Slowly walking down the hall Faster than a cannonball Where were you while we were getting high? Someday you will find me I was on my last tour and I was playing Champagne Supernova. That song is so long and I, and so I often find myself drifting off during the song and thinking, well, what, what fucking does it mean? You know, walking down the hall faster than a cannonball. What the fuck is all that about? And, you know, and I should know because I wrote it and I haven't got a clue, you know. And um, I was somewhere in the north of England and happened to glance up at the crowd there was just a sea of teenagers, all young lads, all with their tops off on each other's shoulders, singing the words of a nonsensical song by a band that were broke up. Well, they were two years old when the band fucking broke up. So I think to myself sometimes, you know, that's what it means. Because we recorded it and it was written while we were still relatively young, I think it still appeals to young people and it's gone through three or four generations now. Just some stats on the album, What's the Story, Morning Glory? It sold 345,000 copies in the UK on the first week of its release. It spent 10 weeks at number one in the UK and sold 4 million copies in the US. It had two UK number one singles, which was Some Might Say and Don't Look Back in Anger, and two number two UK singles, Roll With It and Wonderwall. It's the third best-selling album of all time in the UK and has sold 22 million copies worldwide. 
A Mick Jagger solo song I may have mentioned somewhere previously in the podcast that I love. Also mentioned champagne, cheap champagne, and the song is Throwaway. Another quick song that mentions champagne, or at least a champagne bottle, is a local Melbourne band called The Spin, who I played a song of theirs, Run Rabbit Run, back in episode 21's bass intros. The singer Tim Hocking is one of the greatest unknown rock singers, and here's The Spin's champagne bottle mentioning Easy Tiger. And you can check out the Victims tab on the website, A Rock and Roll Rabbit Hole, to hear some of The Spin's tunes. They're quickly becoming one of my favourite bands. Champagne bottle through a car windscreen The cracks appear in all of my own making You make your bed beside the devil you know And can't see your way out of this storm It's breaking so heavy
uh, for Hotel California. I was just sitting on a sofa in a living room in a rented house and playing this guitar and out came that progression and I played it three or four times. I said, well, I have to save this or it's gonna go away. So I ran back into my little one-year-old daughter's uh, bedroom, which during the time she was awake was my recording studio for demos. And I just turned on the machine and recorded some of the, just the 12 string part over and over and over and then I turned it off and went away. And when we started putting together the Hotel California record, I went back in and started listening to a bunch of those little pieces and ideas, and I said, well, that's kind of interesting. Let me finish this. So I got an old drum machine and um, programmed it to like a cha-cha beat or something, and then I replayed the acoustic and played the bass part, and most of the guitar parts that you hear on the record, I'd kind of overdubbed on this tape recorder and put it on a cassette with maybe 15 or 16 other ideas, one of them which became Victim of Love in that same batch of just writing ideas, and gave it to Don Henley and Glenn Fry and said, if there's anything on this tape you hear, let's finish writing it, you know? And so Henley called me up and said, I really like that song that sounds kind of like a Mexican reggae. And I went, oh, I think I know which one that is. And so we started working on it. He started working on the lyrics with, with Glenn. And I started trying to conceptualize how Joe and I, who had just joined the band, could do that guitar dueling thing on the end of the song. Because Joe and I had been doing that together live during Joe Walsh shows that I was just out jamming with Joe because I loved to play with him before he joined the band. I wanted to be able to do that on an Eagles record. So I sat down and started trying to figure out, as a matter of fact, the original demo that I still have has a great deal of what I just made up on that demo that sounds very much like the very ending of, of the solos on Hotel California. So it's just that the way of writing, it just kind of comes out of you. And usually my first two or three shots at something, that spontaneity and enthusiasm and creative energy are usually the best. When, when you go over and over and over and try to perfect it, it sort of squishes it into like less excitement and more things that are really perfect to me aren't exciting. You know, I like the energy. I wanted to try to capture some of that on the Eagles record. So a lot of my writing was aimed in that direction of adding that to the band. And that's how I wrote. So that's how I write today. That opening rift on Hotel California Solo was the same rift identically that I had made up on that demo tape in my daughter's back bedroom. When we finally got to the point where we were going to do those uh, live guitar overdubs between Joe and I in the studio, I always thought Joe and I would set up a couple of stools, he and I would sit there, we'd plug into a couple of amps, roll the tape, and we'd do what we'd been doing against each other on Joe Wall shows to just capture that kind of, you know, pushing each other to play something better than what you just played. But, and that's what we started off doing, and then Don Henley came in the control room and said, no, 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 stop, what are you doing? And I went, well, we're playing the guitar parts for me. He says, no, 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 that's not right. You have to play it like the demo. I said, I don't even know what that was, to tell you the truth. That was a year and a half ago. So I had to call my home, have my housekeeper go through my cassettes, find the original cassette, put it in a blaster, play it and hold the phone up to the blaster. We recorded it in the studio in Miami and I had to sit down and learn something I had just made up off the top of my head for that demo. And it was just, like I said, usually my first or second shot 
you know, just letting something come out is the best. And Don was right to be able to make me go back and do that. I guess he had heard it over and over and over so many times. He expected that opening lick and those, that first solos and stuff to, to be that way on the record. Just a side rabbit hole, this is Ian Anderson from Jethro Tull. Uh, next one is a piece which um, um, began its life um, back in 1969, I think, and curiously it gave rise to uh, an interesting, or well, we think it gave rise to uh, an interesting development by a band called the Eagles, who were our support group back in about 1971 we used to play this song every night on stage and we'd stand in the, in the wings and watch it and curiously we came out with a song just shortly afterwards that employed pretty much exactly the same chord sequence as this one and it was um, in a different time signature and a different key but it was kind of a little, a little familiar and uh, it was called Hotel California and uh, if the Eagles should decide uh, after all these years to put matters right they ought to, ought to donate some royalties to the band for that then say thanks guys for thinking of us but no what you could do is take all of the audience after dinner what do you say after the show yeah damn it yeah on the eagles we'll go out for dinner and we'll go somewhere nice <laughs> this one is uh, martin's big wawa piece and there's a wawa pedal down there which is going to play genuine 1969 wawa pedals so called we used to know Play jazz flute? I dabble. Oh. Would everyone love to hear Ron Burgundy play some jazz flute? Yes! Get on stage now. Okay, Come I guess on. I can play a little ditty. 
Honestly. I'm, Come on. I, Give me a hand. I'm not prepared. I really am not prepared at all. Yes! This is a surprise, I'll tell you. <laughs> Guys, East Harlem Shakedown, E flat. Keep the cymbal splashy, and uh, Jerry, let's take the baseline for a walk. Hold on. We got it now. It's all right. Oh, the flute. And before we move on, there's one more champagne song. I know we played it earlier, but here it is. There's a man there you know He's the host of the show And you'll find that he also hates saxophones Another Melbourne song coming up next is The Living End with a hybrid rockabilly metal kind of tune and a great booze song called Carry Me Home. One of the best newest singer guitarists around, which is Marcus King. This is a song from his album from the great year that was 2020, and it was produced by Dan from the Black Keys, and it was one of the albums that got me through a COVID lockdown. 
Performing Wildflowers and Wine from his Grammy-nominated album, El Dorado, here is Marcus King. Wildflowers and wine An old scratchy record In the background of our life Still in dancing After all this time Wildflowers and wine Speaking of the Black Keys, they also have an alcohol song with some great drunken drumming, and the song is called Leaving Trunk, and it's off their debut album, The Big Come Up, from 2002, and it was recorded on an eight-track and two microphones bought off eBay. The song we just heard, Leaving Trunk, was actually written by Sleepy John Estes and Taj Mahal released it in 1968. I'm going to 
song is Foy Vance with Moonshine. This guy's got such a great voice. He has six albums out. He's definitely not to be confused with Vance Joy. But first, this is his album. It's called The Wild Swan. Here with the song Moonshine from the film Live By Night, Foy Vance. special song for me when I wrote it. While she says the song is a work of fiction, the themes were intensely personal. I grew up in a working class family. Um, I, you know, we had good and bad days. I think everyone can relate to the idea of wanting to um, search for a better life. And, and that was certainly um, part of my personal story. Uh, growing up in Cleveland, it was a very difficult in the 70s. It was a volatile place, so a lot of racial tension. Uh, it was economically depressed. Unemployment was high. Um, I, I wanted to try to find something better. Both poignant and political, Fast Car carried a message that was relevant to the times, and 30 years later, it still is. I think that generally everyone thinks that the generation that follows will do better, will have more opportunities. Um, um, 
and now it seems it's just the opposite, that uh, you need a college degree in order to get the most basic job that you know will never pay you enough to support yourself and support a family. Um, so obviously, change needs to happen. That was Tracy Chapman talking about her amazing Grammy Award-winning nugget. And to keep in line with the theme, I will start from the verse where she talks about her father's drinking in Fast Car. See, my old man's got a problem. Yeah, but the bottle, that's the way it is. He says his body's too old for working. His body's too young to look like his. My mama went off and left him. She wanted more from life than he could give. I said, somebody's got to take care of him. So I quit school, and that's what I did. You got a fast car. Is it fast enough so we can fly away? You gotta make a decision. Leave tonight or live and die this way. So I remember when we were driving, driving in your car. Speed so fast, I felt like I was drunk. City lights day out before us, and your arm felt like scrap around my shoulder. And I, I had a feeling that I belonged. Had a feeling I could be someone, be someone, be someone. You got a fast car. We go cruise and entertain ourselves. Still ain't got a job. Now work in the market as a checkout girl. I know things will get better. You'll find work and I'll get promoted. We'll move out of the shelter. Buy a bigger house and live in the suburbs So I remember when we were driving Driving in your car Speed so fast it felt like I was drunk City lights lay out before us And your arm felt nice wrapped around my shoulder And I, I had a feeling that I belonged I, I had a feeling I could be someone Here's a great clash of worlds between stuffy English broadcasters in 1981 and the Dead Kennedys' Jello Biafra talking about a song that could have easily been in episode 6, Fuckfest. The song was actually the first single to have the word fuck in the title to make the UK charts, climbing to number 36. Apologise for the shitty audio, but it is an interesting interview. It was by the dead candidates and it was called Full Drunk 2. And uh, then there was another word. It was never played apart on the Fox 40 show. In fact, I don't think it was ever played on the radio anyway. And frankly, I don't think it ever should be because of its lyrical content. But nonetheless, it's by the band called the Dead Kennedys, who are a very interesting band, in my estimation. Uh, we're going to play a bleaker version of the single, and after that, you will hear Janice Long of Radio Merseyside chatting to Jello Biafra via the phone oh, to San Francisco. Or, uh, and she really just wanted to find him out and find out what his reaction was to the fact that this single called Too Drunk Too was really selling well in this country. Put whatever word you like adjacent to the police. The title of the song is very controversial here in England. Why actually include that line in the song? Why not? That's what it's about, isn't it? 
this is something that you're, uh, you know, you're drawing from personal experience. From everybody's personal experience, as well as mine, it's the part of sex that your parents are afraid to tell you about. Do you think by um, actually including, you know, the word in a record, that you actually get a load of publicity out of it? Uh, that wasn't the original intention. It just seemed like it was something that needs to be said. What's really funny is that it's uh, gotten stirred up more controversy than a lot of our more directly political songs. And it's just beginning to occur to me what a slap against Christian, Christian ethics the song really is, which is uh, fine by me. Jenna, um, over here in Great Britain, two major stores have banned your record, but it's already gone to number one in the alternative charts and it's very high in the BBC charts. What would you say to people who refuse to sell the record? Ha 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 ha. Oh, I'm deliberately controversial. Yeah, we, we, as I say, we love to get under people's skin and annoy them. People deserve to be annoyed. Were you thinking along those lines when you actually picked the name for your band, Doug Kennedy's? Oh, absolutely. Skin Roll is supposed to be scary, so why not make it scarier? What do people say in America? I mean, I know that, that young people here, you know, like your music and obviously because they're buying your records. But what do uh, young people and older people in America think of you? Uh, well, let's see. Punk rock is sort of a... Uh, it's, uh, the the uh, government and the corporate media here try to snow it under as much as possible because they don't want people to find out about it. They don't want anything that might make people think or uh, get up off their ass and trying to change things. People want uh, only things that are very soft and very um, uh, happy therapy or whatever. People are uh, taught to be addicted to happiness here a lot more, so uh, they... Uh, uh, tend to ignore us a bit more than they do in England. Plus, the country's so much bigger that there's no uh, musical weeklies like NME or Sounds or anything, so it takes people a lot longer to find out about things. The punk is just beginning to get very popular here. Uh, there's been a lot of people who've been coming into the safety punk scene who really are not very... Uh, politically motivated or whatever and they're either there to start fights or they're there uh, thinking that punk is an excuse to put a swastika on your t-shirt. Um, forgive me for saying but we do seem to be ahead of you when it comes to music. Are you influenced by English? Uh, I think that's a total lie that only you people believe. Yes, but I mean the punk movement happened about, what, three or four years ago here? Yeah, it happened simultaneously in America with starting with the Ramones who admittedly were a bit more in the, uh, Bopper rock field, but that quickly turned into people like uh, Negative Trend and the Avengers and uh, the Dills and others who didn't get the kind of chance that the Sex Pistols did because they were in America and the Sex Pistols were in England where the media watches bands a lot more closely. Finally, Jella, um, do you think that you're going to change the whole music scene or are you simply out to shock people? Um, I don't think there's necessarily a relationship between the two. I think we have had an impact, however small, on changing things, but uh, it won't be seen for a long time because change takes years and years and years. It's not something that happens overnight except in fashion magazines. The plasmatics have proven that some people can be shocked just by a woman squeezing her tits on stage, but when you put some substance and some thought and some feeling and some politics behind the shock, I think you've got something extra. Dead Kennedys, too drunk to fuck. 
So I reckon that's enough for this week. So to end part one, I'm going to combine probably the best-known Australian beer-mentioning song with an unknown song as they share a verse. You can get it riding. You can get it sliding. You can feel it coming on about four. A hard-earned thirst needs a big cold beer. And the best cold beer is Vic. Vic Bitter. You can get it in a hole or up a pole. You can get it doing nothing at all. A hard-earned thirst needs a big cold beer. And the best cold beer is Vic. A long, cold Vic. You can get it walking. You can get it talking. You can get it working a plow. Matter of fact, I got it now. A hard-earned thirst needs a big cold beer. And the best cold beer is Vic. Victoria Bitter. Thanks again so much for listening. Check out the Grog Lords, as we said earlier. Groglords.com. Some good Aussie nuggets, giving it a crack. You can say hey to me on Instagram and Facebook, A Rock and Roll Rabbit Hole Podcast. Check out the website, arockandrollrabbithole.com, for all the past episodes and Spotify playlist of all the songs used in each episode. Please rate, review, share, subscribe, all that sort of shit to the podcast. It's super helpful. And here's the second song that starts with a line from the VB commercial we just heard. A hard-earned thirst needs a big cold beer and the best cold beer is Vic. A hard-earned thirst needs a big cold beer and the best cold beer is Vic. Victoria Bitter. And it's Bug Dust with VB. The song also mentions the Croydon Hotel, which was the first pub I ever smuggled myself into at about the age of 15 to check out the bands. Thanks again, and I'll see you next week with Booze Part 2. See ya.
Adebra.